for the pricing call and advanced blueprint. And I'm also going to do some commentary on this industry. So this is going to be an advanced call. I am going to get into some nuanced type of things. Obviously, that means I'm probably going to get into a little bit more opinion than I would on a beginner call. So this is definitely not a beginner call. I'm going to get into some opinion. And then obviously, you know, I, I think that what I'm going to share with you is not so much for helping you develop a blueprint because you're an advanced marketer, but instead for you to take a look at what's going on in your business and ask yourself if you slice and dice the data just a little bit, can you find some spots where you can uh, generate more revenue, where you can perform at a better level, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So let's go ahead and get started. One of the things, obviously, that I was going to share with you is some price percentages. But I want to talk first about the 80-20 curve just a little bit. And one of the things that happens, and you know, the reason that a lot of times that we look at the data is not just to say, okay, well, this price point is selling really well, so we'll sell more of it. And by the way, I think that's a great strategy. But if we if we look at pricing and we look at profit from the perspective of the 80-20 curve, what we find is, and of course, you know, the 80-20 rule is going to give us something along the lines of 80% of our profit comes from 20% of our subscribers. 80% of our revenue comes from 20% of the visitors, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you can look at it the other way. 20% of our revenue comes from 80% of subscribers. So that's one way to look at it. That's kind of the beginner way to look at it. And then when you grow your business, you begin to get into like a mild intermediate level. And that's when you say, okay, well, we've identified the 80% or the 20% that's generating 80% of the results. Can we slice that down and say, What's the 20% of that that's giving me 80% of those results? What that gives you is the 4% of your activity that gives you 64% of all your results. That's where things get really, really powerful. If you can slice it one more time, you get even deeper. However, there's another perspective to the 80-20 rule. And to be honest with you, I think the easiest way to do this is to just send you over to Perry Marshall's website on this and that's 8020curve.com. And, and so what's interesting here is if you go in and you use uh, 8020curve.com, you combine that with Perry's 8020 book, you can really get an idea of what happens with the 8020 curve. So let's just say we say we have, you know, a thousand people that, uh, you know, a total of a thousand members, we get a hundred people uh, that are willing to spend $10 a piece. If we calculate the other members just using that, then, you know, what we will find is that the average output of all those thousand individuals is actually 6.41 units altogether. And so if we're looking at it from a rack the shotgun perspective, you've got 100 members that responded with 10 units of output. That's 1,000 units of output. There's an additional... $5,415 of output that will come from offering items at, at a higher price, so pricing it at a higher level. And we could go really, really, really deep. I mean, you can, you can, you know, study, you can go into the how to use the tool and all that. And by the way, I mean, this is not designed to be a promotion for Perry Marshall or anything like that, but some of my background comes from studying this page right here. And so what happens is when you look at these numbers from this perspective, and if you look at it from this Perry Marshall perspective, the 80-20 curve perspective, you say if you sell a thousand, you have a thousand members, and a hundred of them are willing to buy at ten dollars. There's a percentage of individual people that will buy at, uh, you know, let's say how many members will respond with output uh, 50, and you say by output, you know, if you say how many. How many uh, members will respond with output 50? Then you'll be able to say, okay, you know, maybe 10 people will respond at that level. So predicted response for output 50 is 15 members for a total output of 750. So if you if you've got a thousand members that will respond, 100 of them will, will pay 10 dollars. 15 people 
we'll pay $50. And so then you could say, so that brings you up to $17.50 in revenue. How many people will spend $100? So the predicted output for 100 is six people, so you'd have six additional people. And so what happens is when we do this type of a model, it's easy for us to say, okay, how high can we price whatever we do so that we can have that additional revenue? And what this model assumes, what this model assumes is that if we have a $10 item, we have a $20 item, a $50 item, a $100 item, you know, even if, let's just say the members will respond with output of 1,000, with the predicted response for output of 1,000, now this says zero. So, um, I mean, it's probably some partial of that. And, of course, we only had, you know, 100 members. So the predicted response for 500, somebody buying at $500, is one member. So you say, okay, well, we're going to be able to increase our revenue by 50% by adding one more person at $500. What happens is with this thinking, and I don't want to say there's anything wrong with this thinking, but what happens with this thinking is that we begin to think the only way that we can increase revenue is by adding higher priced items. But I want to flip things on its head and say, what if the members with an output of 100 is a total of six people would spend $100 for an additional $600? What if that's six people who would spend 10 bucks a month? What if that is six people that would spend 20 bucks a month for five months? So what if, what if as we climb this ladder, what we're really doing is we're tranching out the people who have the highest spending ability, which in theory puts more money in our pocket, which in theory put more, puts more profit in our pocket from the initial work that we've done. But let's just say that you have an opportunity to touch 1,000 people and only 3%, 30 of those, can afford that highest level item, and everything you're doing is trying to move people to that highest level item, is it possible that you're leaving value on the table for the other 970 people that if that value were distributed at a lower price, that although the top profit might not be exactly the same, it would, it would get near to that, and because it's a mass environment, you'd be able to double or triple the number of people that come in. So if that's the case, is it then possible that profit could be increased with having a lower price point sold to more people than to be focusing on this 80-20 curve which says that 3% of those individuals are going to account for, say, 30% of the profit? Well, what if we just said we're going to slice off that 30% of the profit? We're not going to worry about it. We're going to take the 70% of the profit, but we're going to double the total number of people coming in so that our profit is actually 140%. So it gives us an opportunity to take our profit from 70% or 70% of total revenue to 140% of total revenue as opposed to focusing on what now feels like a measly number of 30% at a higher price tag. I'm not saying that any of this is right or wrong. What I am saying is that I think that sometimes when you're thinking about pricing, you've got to look at two things. Number one, the big picture, and what does it mean for you? And then number two, how many lives do you want to change? I mean, realistically, do you really want to only impact 30 people or really only impact 100 people with your profit coming from 30 people? Or do you want to impact 1,000 people that pay at a lower level and do you want to change their lives on a different level? I'm going to give you one more idea from kind of I, I am guruship. Well, what we tend to see over a 10-year period of time, sometimes this happens in a five-year period of time, it, 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 you get folks that will peak at a five-year period of time. Some folks take a little bit longer to peak. But what happens is as the list number grows and as they learn this and as they recognize that they can create quick cash paydays by increasing prices, increasing prices, and increasing prices, they go up the value chain. And I've done it. They've done it. They go up the value chain. We go up the value chain. We charge a higher and higher price for service because our profit is higher. And then one of two things happen. And I, I have seen this. You see, when I, when I started teaching, I'd only been in the business for a year, and, and so I wasn't able to see trends like this. I just saw what was happening at a granular level. But now that I've been in this business for over 11 years, I'm looking back and I see a lot of the folks that, that were at the top of the bell curve when I got started and that peaked at the top of the bell curve five years after I got started, they're not in this business anymore. 
They're in a different business. They may be consulting. They may be doing a mass market. They might have brought an app to market. They might be doing something in a nonprofit arena. But the, the bulk of the folks that 10 years ago were at the top of the curve selling at five to $10,000, we're not really seeing that anymore. And if you look five years ago, the people that were at the top of the bell curve, they're kind of falling down that curve. And I think that one of three things happened. Right? So one thing that happens, and this is one of the things that happened to me, is I realized that as we increase the price, yes, profit goes up, but we find that we start developing more and more clients who simply want to put their money in, but they're not putting their work in, and so they don't get the results. Now, obviously, there's somewhere in the middle that's a sweet spot, because if you have somebody that has absolutely no money to invest, a small percentage of those people can do it with all sweat equity, but the truth of the matter is most people can't. Most people can't. There's some kind of a sweet spot. There's got, in most cases, there has to be a little bit of investment that happens. Now, that could be an external investment. It could be a family investment. That could be a borrowing investment. You know, I'm not saying any of that is right or wrong, but a lot of times there has to be some kind of an investment to make that thing happen. Another way is to invest in yourself. You set aside the money or, you know, Obviously, I'm talking to an advanced marketer here. You've been through it. You're looking at it through a lens. You're trying to help other people. But what we see is at the lowest end, sometimes folks just have to not do anything, put money away for a year, and now have a small nest egg that they're now able to invest in themselves. But going back to that highest ticket item, are the greatest results coming from that highest ticket item? And I'm not so sure. And so I think that what happens, a lot of folks get to that peak, they look around, they go, I got money in the bank, I bought a bigger house, I bought a bigger car, I travel in a better style. But wait a second, am I really changing lives? Am I really changing lives? An adjustment has to happen. The second thing that happens is a lot of times when folks get into those higher price tickets, when they get into that higher price tag in order to do those higher prices, they're starting to do live seminars. And folks that get addicted to not, I don't even want to use the word addicted, but folks that, that get comfortable with that level of revenue they're obviously spending a lot to make it happen, but there's a high level of revenue that happens, and the live seminars burn them out. And so then they, they drop off the market, and they say, you know what, I just I don't want to do that anymore. What I'd like to do is go back. I'd like to go back and create a low-priced membership, but I'm less concerned about profit per subscriber than I am about changing lives, whereas 10 years ago, they wanted profit per subscriber in the membership. The membership wasn't giving them profit per subscriber, so they said, I'll start raising the prices, $500, $5,000, $50,000. What happens is profit per subscriber goes up, but the, the, the results from those subscribers begins to go down and a feeling of dissatisfaction in what's going on. And They don't even realize it. I'm going to throw a word out there. There's, they almost begin, I think, to feel like a fraud because they get to the place where they know that things work, but because people are investing their money instead of their time and there's no sweet spot trade-off, that because of that, results begin to go down. And when that happens, you go, wow, we got to go all the way back to the other end to go to memberships. So the next thing I want to give you is actual numbers um, from uh, my spreadsheet for last year. So now these are going to be percentage numbers uh, for a couple of different reasons. I'm not going to reveal I am going to reveal the actual numbers for averages, for cross points, and that kind of thing. I'm not going to reveal total revenue. I just don't know that that's the totally wisest thing to do. Okay, so if we look at, if we look at, I want to slice the 80-20 curve from two perspectives. I want to slice the 80-20 curve from two perspectives. Here's why. It's so easy. Like I said, we look, I, when we, if you start, if you were here with me from the very, very beginning, we started out, we started talking about the, the power curve. We started talking about the 80-20 curve. We talked about as we increase that curve, we begin to make more money uh, per person. So it's really easy to look at the top end of the curve. And so we're going to look at the top end of my curve first. Okay? We're going to say that the top end of my curve, top 20%, ranges from $20.14 up to $2,997 with an average ticket of $76. Okay? So the high end of my curve, the average ticket is $76. So the average ticket is $76, the low ticket is $20.14, and the high ticket is $3,000. And I think that if we were to, we were to plot all of that along the 80-20 curve, it would probably come out beautifully. 
I mean, it would, it would really map that 80-20 that curve. What you'll also know, and this give this to you as a stat, approximately 75% of all of my revenue came from that top 20%. Now, I want to stop right there and say that if we were to combine that with the 80-20 curve and we were to combine that with traditional 80-20 insight, like I gave you in the first minute, minutes of teaching, not the second part, where I was talking about kind of the fall from glory with, with what I see almost every Internet marketing niche uh, guru goes into a fall from glory. And it can happen for a number of different reasons. I mean, there's all kinds, I mean, just like, you know, you see it with, with sports people, you know, sports folks, it's the millions of dollars, there's a fall from glory. You know, either their ability can't keep up or an addiction happens or whatever the case. And I just gave you the two innocent situations where, you know, I think that people get to where they're selling at five to $50,000 and they look around and they say people are investing the money, but because they invested, they don't put in all of the work. And so it doesn't happen. They're not getting the results. We begin to feel guilty about charging at those prices. Okay. And then the second thing is that they get burnt out because of the time requirement that's involved to be able to deliver at that particular level. But then you've all, you've got all of the other, you know, normal human stuff that, that kind of comes in that can also sabotage folks. So if we look at this and we say that, that my average high ticket is $76. My average high ticket was $76, and 75% of my revenue came from that top 20%. It would be really easy to look at that curve and say, okay, in order for me to double revenue next year, I've got to stop selling at the lower than $20.14, which is the low end of the high, the high 20%. Or we could even go extreme and say I had to stop selling at less than $76. I got to let the other 80% of transactions go, and I just got to triple up on my top-end transactions and the double the revenue. What's the flaw in that? The flaw in that is that the 80% of, of other transactions were the weeding out transactions for people to get to $76, meaning that if those other transactions did not occur, if the 25% of low-end transactions did not occur, we could never get to the 20% transactions that would be at $76. Now, could you start out with a minimum price of $76 and force it? Absolutely, but would you, what would happen to your total revenue? I think your total revenue would drop significantly because people wouldn't be able to dip their toe in first. You see, if people are able to purchase a $20 item or a $10 item, they're able to dip their toe in first See that you're what you're made out of, and then they're able to say, I'm going to buy at a higher level. The second thing that happens if we say that we're just going to wipe this out is that we're now following only the money, which is, I mean, I don't know that there's anything necessarily wrong with it, but when you get into the business to change people's lives, but now you say, I'm going to knock out the lowest 80% of my revenue or 80% of my tickets because 75% of my revenue comes from the top 20%. You're saying 80% of your, of your tickets you're going to stop having. Let's say that proxies for 60% of the actual people who are buying from you. You're now saying, I'm going to price myself out of the market for the bottom 60% of people that used to buy from me. Is that consistent with an idea of you changing more lives? I don't believe that it is. I don't believe that it is. And obviously this is a, this is a transition that I've had to go through over the course of several years, it's something I could never have thought of 10 years ago when I began this business. It's something I never could have thought of when I was three years into the business and I was starting to coach people and starting to see results and kind of trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. But when, if I'm at the 11-year mark and you're at the three-year mark, or maybe you're at the 11-year mark but you haven't realized some of these things and that's why you're here. Maybe you're at the 11-year mark and now I'm telling you all this. And you go, well, I knew all of this, but I didn't realize it was important. You know, I, I mean, I don't know where everybody is. You're able to take this and you're able to say, okay, what, what can I do to affect my trajectory into the future based on Sean's experience, not based on my knowledge and not based on my theory? And, and for many of you, if you're used to coming to my beginner calls or, you know, you're used to coming to, I mean, 80% or 90% of everything I do is I teach beginners to get to the next level. That's my market. And then 10% of what I do is advanced material you know, like this kind of thing. And then obviously there's lots of crossovers. So we could say, well, in some topics, email marketing, I teach it as it's a basic, but I mean, when I teach it, it's like it's the top 10% of the market. You know, we don't see a whole lot of, 
of email marketing training out there that, that's effectual. You know, I'm not knocking, I'm not pointing fingers or anything, but it just, it just really isn't. I mean, it's not even, email marketing is not even my specialty or my, yeah, I mean, in some way it is my expertise, but I certainly don't try to make a living teaching email marketing. I don't try to make a living. Sometimes I think that I should, but there's a part of me that's like, well, I've taught it all. Do I just want to keep teaching the same thing over and over again and be a broken parrot? You know, if somebody really wants to learn, I've got the email training out there, and, and they can learn from it. It's not like I'm adding something new to the mix. You know, what? And boy, have I gone off on a rabbit trail, so I'll end this very quickly. I didn't pay to be here to hear rabbit trail. But, you know, the thing is, if you look at what I do now, yeah, do I write better emails than I did five years ago? I sure hope so. Are they smoother? Are they more experienced? Are they are they better? Are they more persuasive? Yeah, I sure hope so. But I would argue that I'm not using any more tools and techniques, maybe by 5%, than I was five years ago. I, I would argue that I've simply become better at what I did good then. And so is there anything extra to teach? I don't know that it is. And so I don't say, I'm just going to read. I'm not, I don't want to be a broken record. I don't want to be a broken parrot to say, I'm just going to make a living on this, although I believe there could be a good, good living in it. Okay, so talk about a rabbit trail. Don't know how we got there. Let's go back to revenue. And I'm, folks, I'm moving fast because you're an advanced crowd, not a beginner crowd. We're skipping all the beginner items. We're just going to this advanced material. Let's put one more number out because I want to close this screen. The lowest 20%, the average ticket, or the top ticket was $8.17. The top ticket was $8.17 on that lowest arena. Okay, so if, if we assume that the average ticket, I don't have that number in front of me. I don't think it's worth our time. I don't think it matters if it's $4.56 or if it's $4.75. I don't think that it matters. I'm going to call it $5. So if that's the case, and the average ticket in the lowest 20% is 15, let's see, what would that be? 76 into 5 would be 15, right? So it's 15 times smaller. Then what that tells us is that the percentage of revenue is 15 times smaller than the top 20%. So what that means is that the top 20% of revenue provides, or the top 20% of my tickets provide 75% of the revenue. Now, just doing some quick back of the napkin right here, that means the lowest 20% of the revenue only, only accounts for 5% of the revenue. And so it, it would be easy, once again, to knock those out and say, you know, we don't care about the little person. We're going we're gonna to let that go. The truth of the matter is, what does it hurt? What does it hurt to allow people to continue to buy up at those levels if perhaps they wouldn't be able to buy at higher levels? So now I want to give you a new paradigm, and then I want to talk a little bit about my strategy, and I want to talk about the industry. Now here's a paradigm, and I think I have shared this with one human on earth ever, and now a handful of you are going to hear this. When you're small... Profit per subscriber is important. Let's say that $5,000 a month is, is what it, you have to be at to be able to be in business. Now, if you open up a coffee shop, you have to do $10,000 a month in coffee or you can't make payroll. But let's just say working out of your house, $5,000 a month or you're going to have to go get a real job, right? So $5,000 a month. And let's say that you only get 100 visitors, 100 subscribers a month. You've got a price in such a way that you're making $50 per subscriber in order to make that. And, and that's possible. I've done that before. By some account, there's probably segments of the list that continue to do that. Obviously, I don't work on profit as much as I do on the big picture. You know, there's a time when I focus a whole lot more on profit and less on the big picture. You look at profit, you say, I'm going to be at $50 per head. Okay, now, let's say that your income requirement doubles to 10000 but you quadruple your lead source, so you have 400 subscribers a month instead of 100 You now only have to generate $25 in revenue per person. What does that mean? It means that you don't have to work as hard. It means that you can drop the highest priced items. It means you don't have to optimize every little iota to squeeze an extra penny out of the average person 
Your life becomes easier if you increase the mass level of entry inputs by two, they say by four times, and revenue only doubles, your life is able to get easier, you're able to work less hours, you're able to work less hard, and get this, you're able to appeal to the masses, you're able to change more lives. Now, I'm not saying there's anything right or wrong with either perspective. So let's say that you're faced with a conundrum. You can help a thousand people take one small step, or you can help ten people take ten big steps. Which do you prefer? I don't think there's a right or wrong. I really don't. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think there's a place for both. If you want to be the person that only works with ten people a year, but you help those ten people to just a huge another level, I think that's a phenomenal thing. But if somebody else says, you know what, I'd rather work with a thousand people, and even if all I see is one step out of each person, and give them the encouragement to work up the list, and next year we get to step two, I think that's a wonderful thing too. The truth of the matter is the world operates on both levels, at every level in your life. At every level in your life. At a relationship level, you have one to three people that you're really, really close with, and they provide like 80% of your emotional nourishment. You have another 100 people that are acquaintances, and they provide the other 20% of your emotional nourishment. You, you say, well, which is most important? Now, obviously, you could say, well, the 80% of three close relationships are most important, but I would submit to you that if you took away all of the other relationships, those top three would probably begin to suffer in some way. They'd become codependent. They'd become, they'd just problems would begin to develop. So then how important is that bottom 20% emotionally? It's probably more than on paper it looks like 20%. It's probably more because it has an impact on those three individuals and the relationships of those three individuals that powers 80% of the emotionalism. And you look at something like, like a church or a community involvement. Which is better? Which is better, to go to a church service with a 1,000 people and listen to a one-to-many message or to have a one-on-one -on -one discipleship with somebody one hour a week? Which is better? I don't think you can say that there's a this is better. For some issues, one-on-one -on -one is better. But for some issues, the one-on-a-thousand, -on -thousand, being able to just kind of listen to something new, maybe two or three different people a week that you can listen to and you can learn, you can get one tiny step, but you can do that every single week versus a one-on-one, -on -one, which is more important. I think that they're both important. Okay, so in your business, you can do one of three things. One is you can say, I'm just going to focus on, on the high level. I'm just going to help 10 people in a thousand. Again, nothing wrong with that. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to focus on everybody. I'm going to go the mass approach. Nothing wrong with that. Now, what you can do is you can have a mix. You can say, we're going to hit all the masses, but I'm going to have a small program that takes an hour a week of my time for the top 3%. So I can do both. So there's a mixture. I'm sharing all of that with you because a lot of times we get into this guru curve, and at five to seven years, Gurus top out and then they fall off the edge. Why does that happen? Because instead of looking at the big picture and saying, I'm going to mix mass with helping a few people, they say, mass does not make me as much money per person as one-on-one, -on -one, so I'm going to maximize the smaller involvement. I'm going to maximize the smaller involvement. Now, I want to share with you something else interesting. Now, remember I gave you an example, and I said if you have 100 subscribers a month that have to make you five grand a month, you've got to make 50 bucks a head, right? If you have 400 subscribers a month that have to make you $10,000, you only have to make 25 bucks a head. Now, what if you were generating a million subscribers a month? Now, we're just going to go to the absurd, although for some people it's not absurd, but I mean, very small percentage. A million, let's just go absurd, a million people a month, and let's say that your monthly income demand was $100,000. How much profit do you need to generate off those million people a month? Ten cents. Whoa, that's right. You see, when you're first starting out, not necessarily first starting out, when you're first starting out, I mean, you're, you're not making anything, you're just paying your expenses. But when you're first starting out full-time income, it's your job. 
You're focusing on maximizing the revenue per person. You cannot imagine making 10 cents a head. You'd go out of business if, if you were at 10 cents a head. But if you had a million new subscribers every month at 10 cents a head, you'd take in a million dollars by the end of the year. I mean, you could become a millionaire at 10 cents a head. And so what happens is a lot of times, folks, as they go up this value chain, they want to make more and more and more money per person. But what if you were to say, what if I were to do something that will go viral and make more people with less effort, even if I only make a dime a person, or even if I only make a dollar a person, or even if I only make $5 a person? I want that to be paradigm shifting for you. I want that to just be totally paradigm shifting. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. So we, I mean, I've given you a lot of slices today. You know, if it was a beginner class, I'd give you the seven steps to this and the seven steps to that. Right, that. This is best for you and this is best for you. And this is a plethora of information. It's just there. And you've got to say, what, what does this mean for me personally? I mean, some of these things, it's taken me years to internalize them. It may take you a couple of years to internalize some of these pieces. Or you might be having an aha moment right now that changes everything in your business. Right, so having said that, the next thing I want to share with you is the most important realization from a financial perspective in my business in the last 11 years. Now, this is not the most important uh, realization of the business period. And some of these most important revelations, and I don't know which one's the most important one, have to do with some of this power curve stuff that I'm talking about. Some of these are we going to market to the highest end? Are we going to market to the mass? Are we going to market somewhere in between? What's the mix going to be? Uh, I think that being able to have more subscribers at a lower price point and still make more money than you used to be able to do with lower number of subscribers at a higher price point, I think might be way up there in some of, one of the top theoretical types of things that, that, that I've learned over the course of the last 11 years. And then obviously, Another part of what I've learned over the last 11 years is, you know, what motivates people to get to the next level because that's very, 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 very interesting to me personally. Okay? But what I want to share with you now is it's from, from a revenue perspective, what is probably the single most important thing that, I have, that I've learned. Boy, I don't even know. There's part of me that wants to spit it out, and I'm afraid if I spit it out, everybody's going to turn their ears off. I just say it, and that's recurring revenue. You see, you can do a huge launch this month, but when the money comes in, you spend it. But if instead you do a recurring revenue launch and you don't have as much money come in, you just find a way to not spend as much, but next month you have 85% of what came in this month, next month, even if you don't work a day. Now, obviously, if you do that for a whole year, your revenue goes down to 30%, but Imagine if each month you added $5,000 in recurring revenue, and after six months with some attrition, you had $25,000 worth of recurring revenue, and you decided to take three months off, and attrition brought you down to $20,000 a month in revenue. Would that be the end of the world? It wouldn't. But if you're, if you're product launch oriented, even if you are subscribers coming into a list and buying items on the list, the subscribers have to keep coming in. The traffic has to keep coming in. Nothing has to, can break in your system. But if you've got recurring revenue coming in, the revenue comes in whether you feel like working or not, whether you break your leg or not, whether you're on vacation or not, whatever, the revenue continues to come in. And I'll tell you, some of my best months in this business have not been cash flow months. They've been months when I can wake up at the beginning of the month and say I've got a guaranteed X number of dollars coming in this allows me to work on something big. Some of the worst months in this business are when I go into the month and I go, wow, I'm going to be at a deficit this month. This is going to be a rough month financially, and I've just got to scramble to create classes and fulfill them because I've got to have the money come in now because I don't have the, re the recurring revenue. Now, I've done this in multiple, uh, several different ways. I mean, one of the ways that I've done this in the past is with a coaching program. And having a coaching program is a phenomenal source of recurring uh, revenue. Another way that I've done it in the past is with memberships. So you have a membership with participation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I really I like that model. I like that model a lot. So it's not as time intensive necessarily as the coaching program, although you can combine both of those together. 
And then obviously there's putting together a service or something that allows you to charge on a monthly basis. But my greatest realization, and, and folks, for everything that I've taught, shared with you today, I don't want to use the word taught necessarily, because you already may know it, but from a psychological perspective, from an 80-20 perspective, from a marketing perspective, everything I've shared with you, no matter how enlightening it might be, I think that this boring statement that recurring revenue is the most important part of my business and has dictated or has been correlated with some of my worst months and some of my best months in the last 11 years, uh, I would say that this boring statement about recurring revenue is the most important thing you can get on today's call. And, and so then what I would say is if you're looking at some of the earlier things that I gave you, your mind's still swimming. And you know why I know your mind might be still swimming? Not because I'm wonderful or anything like that, but for one singular reason, because several of the insights that I gave you on the first half of this call made my head swim when I learned them, and my head still swims when I think about them. And so I expect that, that yours will as well. But this item I'm giving you is not going to make your head swim. And it, it, it doesn't buy brand new cars all the first month. It, it, it's not a great launch. It's, it's just putting one foot in front of the other and enrolling folks in recurring revenue where you're delivering value. See, here's the challenge with recurring revenue. You have to deliver value where they don't stay, right? So you must deliver value. You've got to set up a membership or a coaching program that allows you to deliver value in a way that you can be sustainable about it. You know, almost all of my memberships, they require about an hour a, a week from me. That's sustainable. I mean, sustainable probably three to five hours would be sustainable if the revenue was right. But for me, if I can put an hour into a mem an hour a week into a membership and it's a sustaining membership, then it's a sustaining thing. So I know that this topic is dry and it's boring. Okay, so now what I want to do is fulfill on some of what was in the sales letter that I've not already uh, fulfilled on in talking with you. Um, I probably gave you the best stuff first. I probably gave you the realizations, the aha moments, the things to make your head swim, the parts that you'll listen to two or three times in the first 20, 25 minutes. But I want to fulfill on my promise and, and kind of give you some additional additional insights. So I've, I've given you the price points, pricing structures, you know, that, that kind of got me at the 80-20 and what was top 20, what was bottom 20, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that's worked for me in the past month after month, good month after good month is recurring revenue, no matter what that looks like, whether it's coaching, whether it's a service, whether it's a newsletter, whether it's a membership, whatever the, the case is. Now, what has happened over the course of oh, probably the last year, it, it, for those of you who have been following me for a long time, you know that last year was membership intensive. Built out a lot of memberships, got a lot of forum involved, and was really exciting, excited about that. But one of the things that I've learned from experience is that forums are exciting when people first come in. And if you have a big launch and everybody gets excited, if you don't bring in a big launch type of numbers the next month to keep the excitement there and to have more people into that forum, if there's not a critical mass, the forum begins to die out. And then as the forum begins to die out, you know, it's like, okay, well, you got 300 hours worth of training in here, but if the key selling point was the forum and the forum begins to die out because you have less and less new people, because new people are the ones asking questions. New people are the ones that are answering questions for the most part. In the long run, you get power users, but when you're first starting out, you haven't built those power users. So what happens is the memberships become, become frankly, boring. They become boring to the user. They become boring to me. And it's like, okay, well, if it's boring to me, then why continue to enroll folks in them? And one of the things that I went through over the course of the last year was really thinking, okay, what's really going to change people's lives? Because you know, putting together a couple of those memberships, initially they look like they're going to change lives. People are really excited in the forums. They're, they're participating. Oh, wow, we're doing such wonderful things and building the website out. But when you actually look at real results over six months, they're still ranting and raving about how wonderful you are. But when you look at the results, they're actually not growing from a profit perspective. They're not growing from, a, from, from an impact perspective. They may be more excited than they've been. They may be more inspired than they've been. They may have a smile on their face. They might have lost some weight because they're not so stressed. But if they're not making a real impact on the world, how effective that I've been and empowering them to go out there and kind of go back to this guru curve that I was talking about. When you get to a certain level of success, 
you step back and you look and you say, well, it's not all about the money. How can I change real lives? Okay? And so when that happens, I'm looking back and I say, okay, well, we got to start working with people on a more personal basis, hence classes, hence higher prices. So you go to classes and higher prices, which is a beautiful thing. People do get better results at classes. They get marginally better results at higher prices if the classes have good implementation of all those pieces. But what happened was the recurring revenue now began to drop off because I was bored and I was not excited about that. The, your classes are getting going. And now you, you wake up and you look around and you go, you know, do I really want to run that class again? I offered it last year. We got this amount of results. Do I want to teach all those words over again? Well, actually not. I'd rather just put the material in a membership, but the recurring revenue isn't there to do it. And so, you know, one of my recommitments as we go through the rest of this year is to rebuild that recurring revenue so that there's fewer ups and downs. And, and that's a big, big shift for me. I, you know, is that an aha moment like what we talked about in the first 20 minutes of this call? No, that's probably not an aha moment. That's more of a boring thing. That's more of a, you know, if, if you were watching the eggs all the way along, you'd recognize something like that. And so, you know, my structure is to move back towards doing more of that. Will that involve a, a relaunch? Yeah, likely. Will that involve a little bit of restructuring on the membership end? It probably will look something like that. Okay, so um, one of the things that I indicated that I would share with you is, you know, what I'm, what I'm kind of getting rid of. And one of those big things is the... the much more personal, very high-priced uh, touches because what I'm seeing is that they are not as effective as they should be dollar for dollar. And I believe that my time is worth more to you if you're able to invest, say, 10% or a tenth, so 90% less and get 90% of the results than paying 10 times more and getting 10% more results. And 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 I think that, and then obviously if you do the math, that's better for me too from a profit perspective on an hourly perspective if I can help uh, more people at one time. And that's that's one of those things. Okay. Well, uh, what I'm improving in my business, you know, we kind of talked about this curve of going to more, going back to more recurring revenue. So the question is, if, if I'm improving, I'm improving on what? When you look at the past and say, okay, create a membership uh, like the memberships of a couple of years ago that were designed to kind of give folks everything, what did they do right? They did a great job of step-by-step. They did a great job of inspiring people. People that got involved in the forums, they, they got greatly involved. But what I believe happened was there was a level of information overload. People get into this place where, okay, I'm just going to say it. I'm not being immodest or arrogant or anything like that because, I get frustrated with the sound of my own voice. Okay, but I think that sometimes people just they just like the cadence of my voice and, and they want to hear the training and they learn the training and, and that's all well and good. And and it, that's all great. But I think that sometimes folks get lulled into learning more and more and more and not implementing as they should be. And so one of the big things that I'm working on right now is short classes, short implementations that say in and out get this thing implemented, let's move past theory, and, and if you want theory, put it, do it at your own time, pace, do it at your own time, but by all means, let's get started and take action like I did when I first started. The next thing that I'm improving on in my business, and, and really it's one of those things where it's easy to take your eye off the ball, and you know that's the case where you know when I first started in this business, uh, for years, for the first several years, you know, my whole story was how I got started. I mean, I started from scratch. The first month I had 100 or 150 subscribers, made $125 in affiliate revenue. And the next month I had another 100 or 150 subscribers by writing articles. Well, people love to hear the story. But I got to the place where I felt like the story was no longer relevant to what I was teaching. So, you know, teaching to sell at this higher level, to teach at this higher ticket level, to, to do things in a decade, we're decade past when I got started to say that the, the, the technical landscape looks different, the social media landscape looks different, communication appears to look different, and by the way, you can parse that statement if you want. The landscape appears to look different. 
that's a vague statement if I've ever made one, right? It, the, the landscape appears to look different. And it's easy for me to delude myself and say that the landscape is different because I make the statement, the landscape appears to look different. What if I were to say that a different way? The landscape appears to appear different. The landscape appears to look different. But what if it's not? And I think that I may have lulled myself into believing that that was the case. Well, once that story was pulled out, we began to focus on theory and teach theory rather than what works. And the truth of the matter is that for beginners, what works for me, what works for beginners, the people, you're an advanced marketer, the people you're teaching, what works is getting into a market, putting up a really simple squeeze page, getting people on a list, finding out what they want and selling it to them. That's what works. And the story sells that. And so I'm making a transition back to using the story, even though it's an 11-year-old story, using the story to tell that rather than focusing on today's landscape that appears and looks to be or appears to look different than the landscape was 11 years ago. All right, let's talk about where I see this industry going. And obviously, I don't know what the future looks like. I mean, but but I can guess. And so this is just just my opinion, and and it's even going to be less than an opinion. It's going to be a a um, a conjecture. You say this is where it could go. But if I look at the last eleven years, and I look at the rise and fall of internet marketing gurus, there's no continuity or consistency. I expect that to continue, and I expect for that learning curve to be even faster. As people are able to come to the top of the learning curve faster, get burnt out faster, they'll fall off the learning curve uh, faster. What that means is there's going to be more people online looking for more beginner information and not being able to get it because the Internet, the gurus are just kind of falling off the edge. And a lot of times I think it's really easy for people to look at the market and say it's getting more and more competitive. It's more and more competitive and more and more competitive. Sure, maybe on the search engine it's more competitive. Because the search engine is a fixed 10 results on the front page, but now there's a million results, there's 2 million results, there's 3 million results. So from a search engine perspective, sure, you know, it's, it's getting more and more competitive. But I think that the truth of the matter is there are more people wanting to learn now as a ratio of people wanting to teach that are actually qualified to teach than perhaps there ever has been. And if that's the case, there's more demand for your services than at any time in the past. Now, because there's more demand, because there's more of a mass appeal, because of the flattening of the web, from a global perspective, what we're probably going to see is prices coming down, you're going to mass out, and whoa, wait a second. If you're going to have a 1,000 clients instead of 100, what does that lead to? It leads naturally to a membership. It leads naturally to a group coaching program. So it leads naturally to recurring revenue. And so what we have is, a, and in my opinion, we have a diminishing number of perceived experts online. We have an increasing number of people demanding. So if we did a demand curve, we'd see the decreasing number of experts. We'd see an increasing number of people that need help. And to the right side of that curve, after the triangle, you're going to see an amazing amount of unfilled need. Now, can you fill that need by overpricing and plucking individual people out of there? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that you can maximize revenue. You can maximize reach by going in and pricing at a point where people can come in in the droves, they can come in in masses, and they can create stability increasing recurring revenue in your business. Okay, folks. So what I've just shared with you, everything I've shared with you, is everything and more that I intended to share with you. Obviously, it's not a beginner training, so it's not some 19-point system. I've given you a lot of I, I want to call it theory, but so much of this is behind the scenes. It can only come from experience. It can only come from looking in. And wherever you're at, if you're at the experience part of the curve, you can add in one or two of my aha moments. You can put them in. You can swim in those for a couple of days, and you say, how am I going to improve my business? Because that should be your question right now. Your question should be, how can I allow this to improve my business? How can I allow this to give me a 10% edge in my business? And that's the real question for you is, is saying, how am I going to implement? Because, you know, I can talk about, well, you know, the, the good months were recurring revenue months. The poor months are the ones I had to work more 
are the ones that were not recurring revenue months. We can talk about that and say it's a ha moment. We could talk about that and say that my poor implementation when recurring revenue begins to drop, class revenue begins to, to go up, is what causes those bad months. Or, or we can say that there was a drop of the ball all the way across the board by not simply keeping a finger on the pulse month after month after month to know what's going on and to say we're going to grow by 5% every single month. And, and, and so what's my advice to you? Get away from the theory and start implementing. Because you can learn and learn and learn, but if you're not implementing whatever those pieces are, then you're not going to grow and you're not going to get to where you want to be. And, and so, you know, what's my biggest prediction for the next 10 years? I think my biggest prediction for the next 10 years is that those people that are going to become the most successful are the ones that are going to learn how to mass out a membership or a coaching program. And the truth of the matter is, in the Internet marketing niche area and in many related areas, many information marketing areas, almost every information marketing area, there are very few, if any, massed out memberships. And why is that? Why is that? And, and I think that some of it comes from what we've talked about. I think some of it comes from the fact that, you know, let's say somebody gets to where they have 10,000 members at 30 bucks a month, they get $300,000 a month coming in, but a percentage of those people are willing to invest at $10,000. They make more at the high level they've been doing the membership and let the membership die. But what if instead they were to say, you know what, I'm not going to stop at $10,000. i am not going to waste my time coaching people at ten grand. Instead, I'm going to focus on making this instead of 10,000 members, 20,000 members, 30,000 members, 100,000 members at $30 a piece per month, which is $30 million or $3 million a month. I'm going to mass it out until there's a hundred thousand or or a million people in it. Thirty bucks a month is thirty million dollars a month. And you say, well, what about all the revenue you're leaving on the table? You're not worried about the revenue you're leaving on the table because you're massing it out. And I think that that is the trend for the next ten years. It's massing out these memberships and 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 recurring revenue propositions. You know, and and I I say proposition because if I say site, somebody gets this idea of putting ten hours of content up, slapping a name on it and calling it membership and saying, how can I make conversions happen? I think it's more important to think about life change and then life change at least to people wanting to stay in for a very, very, very long time. Because I can tell you this from experience, that if people stay in for three and a half months, you don't make as much money as if they stay in for 15 months. That's the bottom line. And so I think that that's the biggest shift in IM over the next 10 years is that we're going to see a surge. And, and by surge, there may be three. May not, we're not, may not be talking hundreds, but it could be you, me, and one other person are going to create a membership that goes just goes viral, goes mass market, and and has 100,000 members or has more than 100,000 members that are paying some kind of a monthly fee. And instead of us focusing on scraping the cream off the top by holding live seminars, by holding one-on-one dealios, by having you know 50,000 dollar masterminds, instead of thinking about scraping the cream off the crop. Instead, we focus on doubling the size of the membership. And then next year, we double the size of the membership. And next year, we double the size of the membership. And I believe that's the future. 